hell that I was in, I'd do anything to be better. I thought like a lunatic. You kind of just have like that little bit of hope that it will get better. You're gonna make it. This began my surrender. I am a witness of my own growth. It's a life beyond your wildest dreams, and I just have to say, it works if you work it. My story, that's what I share. You're listening to Far From Finished, a weekly podcast where we share new, real-life stories of hope and triumph, told by the people who live them. Today's story comes to us from... Hi, everybody. My name is Tim Stoddard. My sobriety date is March 10th, 2010. I am a founder, owner, operator of SoberNation.com, and I'm very glad to be here. I am the product of very young parents. My parents had me really young, and also that my family was always full of lots of love. I've heard a couple of times when people share their stories that you know, they just didn't feel like they got the love that they were looking for growing up, and I definitely never had that. My family is really close, and they're still really close, and I, I love them all so much, and I know that they love me so much. But with that being said, it was a, it was difficult. You know, we had challenges as a family that um, maybe some other families didn't have to go through, but now looking back at it, I see that in the opposite perspective, there's families that had it worse than us. So um, I'm, I'm grateful for all those experiences. And it was, it was great, really. Growing up was, was fun. I, I, had a, I was a pretty adventurous kid. My parents were pretty lenient, you know, let me skateboard a lot and hang out a lot. I got to play a lot of sports, but I always had that uh, strange anxiousness about me where I, I just had a hard time being comfortable with being myself and being comfortable with the person that I was and you know if I would be in a group of people I would feel like I needed to sit in a corner and then I would sit in a corner and be like man I really wish I could go hang out with all those people and no matter what I did I was just always questioning myself so I don't know if like people are predisposed to addiction I don't think about it all that hard but I do know that as early as I can remember I had a lot of those uh, strange isms that they talk about where it's just uncomfortable. I, I think I could just round it up with that word. I was just uncomfortable. And uh, I, I relieved that feeling by just doing really, really impulsive stuff. I would skateboard a whole lot. I had no problem jumping off of like buildings and scratching my body up and playing sports. I would always, I would always do things really, really hard and still do. Um, I just don't know any other way. And eventually, once I discovered that outlet, it all just kind of compounded from there. I mean, I guess it's pretty similar in that way. I think I, I think the first time I got high, I was 12. I remember it was the summer of seventh grade. So I guess I was probably 12. I don't know exactly how old, but there was this hangout spot that we used to call the bridge. It was like this old trestle that went over a creek that was pretty far into the woods. And, you know, I just remember feeling really great about it and just over the years as soon as I found that thing that I knew could kind of take that uncomfortability away from me uh, I ran with it and it happened pretty quick you know I, sparing the details I, I've messed around with pretty much every drug and alcohol obviously was a big part of it but it was the opiates that really should have put me put me down and uh, was the only thing that I couldn't really just fight my way out of um, so that's where it came to a halt. I was 23 
Um, oh yeah, because I mentioned that there's two things I always talk about. One was being, you know, having really, really young parents and I guess some of the financial struggles. But the second one was my bottom, my mother, really sporadically or quickly and unexpectedly developed some kind of brain disorder. It's really like difficult to explain, but um, pretty much in a nutshell, like as we learn things and forget things, the synapses in our brain and like the little blood vessels, they move around, you know, because our brain's not like a, a stagnant thing. It's not static. And as that happens, we all have these tiny little bleeds in our brain. And for whatever reason, my mom stopped doing that. So she had this real um, hard ball of like dried blood that came on her brain stem. It was about the size of a walnut. And literally overnight, like her body just stopped working, her eyes started pointing in different directions, and we had to go to Stanford because it was such a rare thing that happened. Uh, we found this surgeon that could that could operate, and I remember being there, and my mom came in in a wheelchair asking if I would go to her to this if I would go with her to this pre-op thing, and I was withdrawing really hard. I was really sick. I just did like a five-hour flight, and then. Because I flew into Phoenix and then flew from Phoenix to San Francisco. So it was like seven or eight hours since I last got high. And I told her no, that I wouldn't go with her just because I was withdrawing so hard. And I knew that like I needed some time to myself to, um, you know, to, to do my thing. And it was that moment I remember crushing a bunch of pills up on this desk and, you know, taking it. And then looking out this window into a field in Stanford we were and just thinking like, okay, this is a problem now. I just told my mother that like I won't go with her while she's having like a life-saving operation tomorrow and, and that was it man I came home and I talked to my dad and my uncle and I was in treatment like a couple of days later and I've been sober ever since. I guess the words that would describe me are definitely obsessive and like impulsive. I think the word obsession is really a synonym for addiction right because when you're addicted to something it's your primary thought and all other thoughts just come secondary you know even things that like drinking water or eating or you know s keeping in touch with your family just simple life saving stuff is not your prime objective because like when you're obsessed with something you you'll put it before all the all other thoughts so that was definitely a personality quirk of mine while in addiction and it's still a personality quirk to be honest but Getting into treatment, I, I remember being really relieved because of, uh, I went to treatment in this place called Newtown. It was like a really small facility. It's not like a lot of these bigger facilities you see. And it was in like kind of a, a house. And I remember sitting on this couch and I had some experience with the steps because I had some family members who went to treatment before. So like I knew what they were. And I remember sitting on this couch and looking up at these steps on the wall and looking at the first one and just feeling relieved because I knew then that I was powerless and I, I didn't, I still haven't had that like nagging thought in the back of my head that says like maybe one day I can figure out how to do this. You know, like I knew I was an addict, I knew I was an alcoholic, I knew that I had those kind of personality quirks ever since I was little and I just, I didn't fight it and I think that has a lot to do with why I, I did well in treatment and why I, I've remained sober. The real, the, the, real relief has just been that uncomfortableness that I was talking about before because it's crippling and it's like exhausting you know when you're second guessing every decision that you make it gets really really exhausting and just being comfortable with yourself and being able to stand in a room with people and you know your body isn't moving back and forth and 
you're just not worried about what you're going to say or what you're not going to say and just accepting myself for who I am. It's, that's easily the best part. It was, it's been a really long road. Um, you know, the website's five years old. It was not just me. I, I know that since I've produced a lot of the content, I get a lot of the credit for it, but there's been a whole lot of us working on the thing and it's really a team effort over the years. You know, some people have remained a part of it. Some people aren't a part of it anymore, but the real facilitator was that when I got sober, I've always been a writer. You know, like I said, I always had these obsessive thoughts in my head, right? So I would carry a notebook with me everywhere. And actually in my car right now, there's my book bag with my notebook. I don't go anywhere with it or without it. And I've, I've always just written things down, written down my thoughts. And, you know, when I got out of treatment and I moved to Florida and I'm in this new place with a bunch of people I've never met and I'm you know, used to like subways and busy streets and all of a sudden there's a beach and palm trees everywhere. It was such a culture shock, I just needed to write. And I, uh, I think I just Googled like how to start a website. And I started with a really simple like blogger account, I think, and then I would just write and then started putting together little social media marketing things. And then eventually people started really reading it and then I would get some comments on it and the whole thing just compounded from there. and. The truth is, what Sober Nation is, isn't necessarily like my vision. I think if I've done anything well is I've allowed the community to sort of mold it into what it's supposed to be. You know, like it's really not for me, it's for everybody else. And so we've always adjusted to what like people want to hear and what people are passionate about and maybe some, uh, some new events that are going on to make sure that, that we stay relevant and to make sure that we're like providing value for, for people. So I, I think that I think that that's the most important thing is that I've never said like this is what it is and this is what it needs to be. I've always just really let it be like a medium for other people to express themselves. The best advice that I've ever gotten, which uh, I know I have like a, a dress shirt on but I have tattoos all over me and I have a tattoo on the inside of my arm that says make it to midnight and it was just some advice that somebody like a mentor of mine that I care really deeply about gave me and really it's bigger than just like a recovery quote. It's just no matter what is going on in your life, whether you're thinking about relapsing, whether you had like a death or just some awful thing going on, all you have to do is get through the day. And especially with recovery, he would always tell me, make it to midnight, get to sleep before you get high. And then when you wake up, it's another day and you can do it all over again. You just have to make it to midnight one more time. Because when I think about, you know, at the wedding that's like eight years from now that I don't even know who it is, or when I think about you know, maybe like a child being born or some kind of celebration and especially new in recovery. I've been sober a little while now, so I don't think about it too much. But, you know, the first year, those kind of thoughts go through your head. And when you don't think about the future and you don't think about the past and you just stay in today and you just keep your focus on getting through, just getting to midnight, it, it just is way better that way. That's the best advice I've ever heard. And I take that, I take that shit like really seriously.